It's time for Done Being Single with your hosts, Trevor and Robbie Scharf. If you're dating the same type over and over again, making the same mistakes and not finding love, then you're not done being single. What you need is some tough love dating intervention, Trevor and Robbie style. Whether you're new to dating or have been dating forever, we've got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Trevor and Robbie Sharp. Welcome. How are you doing? We are, I'm, I'm doing good. How are you doing? You know, I'm hanging in there. <laughs> That's kind of our stock answer. Has it been? I think so, but it's apropos to what it is what we are doing. Well, we are, how we good are hanging can we in be? There. Well, no, that's a bad way. To, that's no. We can be. We are good. We are good. We're very good. Knock. On metal. Metal. Or formica. Um, or whatever this is. Yes, uh, it's. I think it's a difficult time, and uh, as much as we want to think that we're getting through it and getting over it, and we're on the downward arc, we're really not. We're really still going up the Matterhorn before you, we you, do that. When you say we, we, as in you? The collective we of our, the, I think our country, our the world is still just kind of going through this thing and we're not through it. And how are you feeling? I am feeling good outside of a little bout of diarrhea the other night. Oh, but that, you know, is not really oh something God. important, but... We've been suffering from that. Well, is it because we're eating too much? I don't know. I don't know. I think the stress TMI? is... TMI? Uh, you know, let's all be real. We're like we're like family here, right? So, you know, we can talk. We have no Can secrets. we talk? Yeah. Uh, it's uh, a tough time. Um, I think we're all doing pretty good. You know, I see my, my friends and family and people are dealing and they're rising to the occasion. Right. With that said, though... I think people also tell you what you want to hear. I think people hide a lot. I think people are s- secretly struggling. I think people are trying to be stoic because you got to be. But I do think, and how can they not be? How can anybody not? How can anybody be happy, happy, joy, joy right now? And it's and tough. that's that's then. That's now. How about before all this happened? Right, you well, know? that's really, that's the base, is ha- before all this happened, is how are people coping with normal life? Right, and if you weren't coping or managing, how does it feel to be in a pandemic, and now... And you add that, and you add uh, relationship issues, you add uh, f- family, uh, kids, in-laws. Right, right. Aging parents. Yes. Nursing home. Yes. We're dealing with all of this. Right. So whatever existed before is not any easier oh. right now. But I don't know. Maybe there maybe there is a little hope in all this. Maybe this is a moment of reflection and stillness that we can all take advantage of to do some work on ourselves. All for um, it. to maybe get to those areas and issues that you you couldn't before i don't know i i always you know i'm a silver lining person yes you are so i think there's great opportunity but wait a second you're a silver lining person sometimes i think that you actually (laughs) let me rephrase that 
You're actually not a silver lining person. What makes no, you say that you are? I know where you're going with this. You are the you are the worst case, worst first case okay. scenario person. I am. But there is a silver lining there no. eventually. But thank you. You gotta, I gotta find it and thank then you. show you the path and then you see it and then, but you don't go there first. No, you you are correct. I'm a world class warrior. You had a little medical issue during the night. Okay, that's enough. Yeah, but but my point okay, is okay. I do. I go to worst case scenarioville. I do. I go to A to Z. I that's I do. I really do. I think about that. I one do. For a With that said, though, this is where I'm getting at. Okay. Okay. There is um, even if you're that way, and even if you struggle with anxiety or depression or whatever the the you know issue du jour is, there is um, a silver lining in that. Yeah, you get through this, man. You can you can really you know the benefits are uh, amazing if you push through. Okay. And I, I'm a pusher through her. You are a pusher. <laughs> I don't lay down. You were pushing through last I, night. Let me tell you that. <laughs> I don't. Um, I fully recognize the the power of pain and suffering, for lack of a better word. <clears throat> all right, this is not going well at all. Okay. All right. I, no, so uh, I'm telling you, <laughs> I I am so I so know I know like I know because I do it for a living. I'm in the pain business. Boy, don't I'm, I know a, that. I'm a fitness person. Okay. And I know what it takes to when you break through and when you power through, oh wow, through anything. Fear, uh, anxiety, pains, I don't know, you know, self doubt, all those things, self worth. There is great there's great reward on the other side. I think that's what I'm saying. Okay. Thank you. So, so how are we going to deal with this today? So, right. So um, we have a guest today that wrote a fantastic book, Perfectly Hidden Depression. Um, it is, it's, fan, it's awesome. And she is sort of the dep- depression maven. <laughs> I don't know if she would enjoy um, being I, that, but... I just think it's the book for it's it's a book for all time, but it's really a book for the times we're living in because you are really uh, you're isolated, yeah. and in isolation, everything comes out when you are when you are. It, it's a pressure cooker, and I've said this before. I mean, whatever you had going on, it's going to come out, and you're going to be faced with it. And this is why I think there is great hope and opportunity to talk about perfectly hidden depression because I think people are perfectly hiding it right now and they're also perfectly hiding anxiety and fear and and um, worry and but I think it's also something that people are are wanting to talk about they're not I don't think they're hiding it because they don't want to share I think that they're hiding it because they probably feel it's I don't it's nobody's business until somebody digs and wants to know a little bit more and then the floodgates can open and then you're going to hear it and that's okay i mean what else is anybody else doing everybody's dealing with the same shit so we have to kind of well if not now we're in a shared yeah we're in a shared situation here and i think that's very unique i think this is uh, an amazing moment for everybody to uh, admit it admit it you're 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 sitting around you're watching the news you're freaking out You've got family around you, or maybe you're single, you're alone, and we're going to give you some tips and tools and hacks and takeaways 
so that we can better get through this moment, and me included. So I'm right there with you, everybody. You know. Why don't we bring on? I'm the queen of worryation. Worryation. That's my word. Okay. Okay. Let's bring in Dr. Let Margaret. Let us introduce our the depression maven. <laughs> Dr. Margaret Rutherford, <clears throat> a clinical psychologist, has practiced for 26 years in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Her work can be found at drmargaretrutherford.com, as well as Huffington Post, Psych Central, The Mighty, The Gottman Blog, and others. She hosts a weekly podcast called Self Work with Dr. Margaret Rutherford, and her new book, Perfectly Hidden Depression, is available right now, people. So, with oh, I should also mention she's a returning champ. Excellent. I think she's been on once, maybe. This is second time around. Welcome, right. Dr. Margaret. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay, so you've been listening. I've never been called a maven, however. I, I couldn't think of the a word. A depression Guru. maven. It, it sounds terrible, but <clears throat> it's, it, it's a compliment. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that. Okay, so you wrote this fantastic book, and I loved every page of it. And um, it really spoke to me on a lot of levels. And I think it's um, kind of a necessary, it's an essential, like essential business right now. It's an essential read. Well, it is for the people who need to read it. You know, one of the goals that everybody said, oh, do you want a New York Times bestseller? And of course, my ego said, of course I do. But my, my real self said, I just want it in the hands of the people that need to read it because the people that I've actually seen as patients with uh, this sort of identity, with this this sort of um, syndrome of problems is in real danger. And the danger is because it is incredibly lonely. Robbie, I have to say that these are people who are not very readily going to tell you what's going on with them. In fact, it takes a lot of, they have to get so much shame out of the way to even admit that they have had painful experiences. So. This isn't like a, a smiling depression or a high-functioning depression where people know they're depressed, know that they're struggling to get out of bed, know that they're worried about money, know that they're fighting with their spouse all the time, but they slap a smile on their face that morning and they either they get around to trying to structure their day through COVID or whatever is on their plate. But they, they actually can say, yes, I'm depressed, but I'm not going to let it govern my life. And there are many of those people, very courageous people. Um, there are also people who have depression that it's so severe and intense and chronic that their lives are much more governed by it than they wish they were. So those people are, struggle every, each and every day. This particular group of people that this book is written for, when um, I've gotten hundreds of emails, and I'm, at this point, maybe thousands of emails about um, uh, who these people are and, and how they think, is that they came up with a strategy many, many years ago, uh, probably a childhood strategy, was basically to survive whatever kind of home life they had. Maybe they had alcoholic parents, so they had to grow up really quickly, or maybe they were shouted at that they weren't gonna amount to anything. So they said, yes, I am. Or they um, were the star of their family, but their parents only loved them because that they were very accomplished. So they kept going after accomplishment, or maybe, they just grew up at a home where it wasn't allowed to talk about your pain or your fear. I've talked to people who had parents die and the other parents said, we will never talk about her again. She's mm -hmm. dead to you. You know, that kind of family environment where you don't air your dirty laundry in public, right? So, and many of us grew up in homes like that. 
And what happens is that strategy is brought into adulthood and people are still trying to live their life by those rules, those oughts, shoulds, must, have tos, um, can't or cannots. And that gets them into big trouble um, because as you said, this is very pertinent in our time, Trevor. And one of the reasons for that, and especially with the stress of COVID, is that our suicide rates in internationally and in the United States are exponentially increasing. And so is perfectionism. And it's my particular passion to try to describe this relationship between the perfect looking life, which is cloaking these rigidly contained, quite unexpressed emotions or emotional experiences that may have been traumatic that are just left sort of simmering there and get gathering potent gathering potency as the longer they live there and eventually they become the reason why someone might uh, take their own life mm. so sad so you lay out the 10 characteristics of perfectly hidden depression or phd um, can you describe them to our listeners? I'll go through them quickly. Mm -hmm. okay. um, now, I do want to make the uh, point that perfectly hidden depression is a term I came up with. You're not going to go looking in any kind of diagnostic manual and find perfectly hidden depression. You have perfectly hidden depression. You know, if you go to your doctor and go, I have perfectly hidden depression, they're going to go, what? <laughs> what the heck are you talking about? Um, it's, a, it's a name I, I came up with, and I call it a syndrome. That probably the most... Uh, well-known syndrome is codependence. That's not a diagnosis. It's something people say, I'm, we're codependent or whatever. So perfectly hidden depression, I did come up with 10 traits that are all interwoven with each other. They're, they're, uh, they're hard to untangle. But basically it is sort of perfectionism, most important one, but not perfectionism that's just striving for excellence. It's perfectionism that is a response to shame. If I don't do this, I'm a terrible person. If I, if I don't succeed, if I don't achieve, if I don't keep the pressure on, mm -hmm. I'm going to turn into a slug. I'm going to be just like my dad already screamed at me I would be. So it is fueled by shame. And this rigid su suppression, like I said a couple of minutes ago, of anything uh, painful. that Someone will sit in my office and say, well, you know, I'm just not a crier or, oh, there's so many people in the world that have problems worse than I do. I know I may be in the presence of someone who's beginning or has the, has the uh, well-encrypted um, uh, um, habit of talking this way about themselves and only thinking about more superficial things. The second trait is over-responsibility. These are people who always have their hand up in their air. That, that they'll take that responsibility on. And a lot of that's due to the fact that they're also warriors. And they think that they need control. And if they don't control it, it won't be done well, which goes into their perfectionism, which then, <laughs> which this, so they take it over and that only adds to the pressure because they don't take anything off their plate and their plate just gets mounded to the point where they're breaking underneath. I've already talked about they can't talk about their feelings. They also discount anything that happened to them that was bad. Again, oh, there are lots of people that have worse lives than I do. They count their blessings all the time, but they do it in a what's what John Kabat-Zinn calls a rigid positivity, meaning that they'll only allow themselves to see what's positive and not the underbelly of things. I mean, y'all have a wonderful podcast, and you're good at it, and you're getting all kind of acclaim for it. But you know what? Sometimes the responsibility of doing a podcast can be a bit onerous. So 
you know, you it's a it's a yin and yang. You know, it's kind of like blessings have their underbellies, and their underbellies can sometimes be problematic. Um, these people also uh, greatly care about other people, and they really focus very sincerely on the well-being of other people. These guys are great friends. They're, he's the guy that always knows it's you know your year-long anniversary at work and says congratulations, or she's the woman who you know will bring you actually useful things when you have a death in the family, not another broccoli casserole, but something you can actually use. But they don't let anybody into who they are no one maybe their spouse has an idea of who they are and what's what they're struggling with maybe that spouse spouse has watched them for years just suppress and suppress and suppress um so let me see if i've forgotten anything that that's all of them they have they're separated out a little bit more than that but that's the gist oh they're also also usually highly successful uh professionally because of course we praise perfectionism you know, we, you try hard at work and boy, you get the promotion, you get the, you know, whatever. So, but they just, they don't have any true emotional intimacy in their lives. This just doesn't exist. Vulnerability is so much a part of this. And I know that yes. you referenced Brene Brown, who is my new vulnerability hero. Um, oh, yes. I just, Wonderful I just work. discovered her recently, which is oh, shocking because yeah. I'm, I, everybody seems to know who she is. Um, and it's scary. Vulnerability is scary, and full disclosure is, you know, super uh, transparency is frightening. How do you, when you're starting to date someone, okay, let's just start there. When you're starting to date someone, how do you tell that person, this is who I am, this is what I'm going through, this is what you need to look out for, or not? How much do you disclose is it TMI? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, everybody's a little different. An introvert is not going to answer that question as, as the same way as an extrovert is. But as far as, um, you know, I think these people frequently get married and have children before they start talking about who they really are or what they've been through. Um, but what I say in the book is it is very important to begin starting to tell at least one person who you really trust. And sometimes that's not a partner because you're, or, or a potential partner, because your lives are becoming interwoven, your sexual partners, your, your domestic partners, your, if you have children together, your parenting partners. I mean, sometimes that person may not be the person you choose to tell. Um, but I do think it's important to um, begin to risk now you said something about you know complete vulnerability or complete disclosure. I think is what you said. I think really for these people, it's much safer to go very slowly. Mm -hmm. I've likened it to a Jenga game, where you have to kind of think very carefully about the piece you can take out without the whole thing crumbling. Right. And someone who's beginning this work will think that the whole thing will crumble if they just take a little piece out. That is their belief. They'll lose people will lose all respect for them. They'll lose all confidence in them. Um, and so they have to do this work very carefully. And of course, if what they've been hiding is trauma, mm -hmm. you know, I, I would, I would, if I went on a first date with someone and the, you know, they started telling me about horrible trauma in their lives, I would probably go, Ooh, this is not good <laughs> because you know, there's no filter there. 
Um, but if they never talk about themselves and they act like their whole lives have been, you know, Jim Dandy and just great, and there are very few people that haven't had something in their life that they've had to be. What, what about a middle ground there? Uh, someone who is not just forthcoming with trauma that they've experienced, or they, you, you have to bring it out in them, knowing how much of it to tell somebody new is important too, and how much to hold back. So you do have to have these personal filters in place. How do we develop those? How do we, how do we work on that? Well, that's a different task for different kinds of people. Someone who's very emotionally governed, who actually has some probably problems in not living a really emotionally driven life. The answer to that question would be, to really, uh, a very simple answer would be trying to learn and um, how to hook up your 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 mind and your rational self to what you're saying. For example, a question I often ask people when they're trying to make a decision like this is, is this going to create chaos for you? And if they say no, but then they come back two weeks later and they say, well, yeah, it did, then that's a learning curve for them because they, they, they gave too much. Um, you know, it's it's you know you you know the old analogy of therapy is like peeling an onion, right? Well, in some ways, revealing this kind of thing is somewhat the same. And for people who are more cautious, um, the answer to that question would be to risk if you really want to achieve some sort of emotional intimacy with someone, and do yourself the the give yourself the gift of realizing that whatever shame you have covered or carried is not appropriate you know you, you didn't deserve the trauma that happened to you you didn't deserve the the losses or whatever you did nothing to create them and so in order to work through that shame and and that this often happens in therapy then you know talking about these things in little bits and pieces is very important i, I think there's i'm sorry <clears throat> I, I think there's for men maybe um, or just super, super tough alpha women or successful people, there's so much um, shame in thinking that they can't admit or um, be vulnerable because it will, excuse me, <clears throat> it, it somehow will not reflect well on their ego mm -hmm. and it will somehow render them powerless if they admit I have, I'm depressed or I've struggled with some mental health stuff. And that's a problem, I think, for, for guys, for strong people. Um, how, do you, how do you let someone sort of let go? How do you, uh, how do you teach them to let go and yeah. say and be okay with this is my authentic self? And if this person doesn't like me, then okay, that's, that's okay. You know. Yeah. Well, it takes a while to get there. And especially, again, if you are, you're being um, pushed or pulled or by some strategy that you had as a child that you have a lot of defenses up against changing that strategy. You know, believe me, many people have looked at me and said, what do you mean I'm supposed to tell somebody that my brother fondled me or that my, my, um, my mother abandoned me for weeks on end and I had to care for my siblings. You know, I'm embarrassed by that. I'm ashamed of that. I, I didn't have a good mom or a dad, but I'm not going to let that 
you know, I'm going to be successful no matter what. The thing that they don't understand that I've learned um, through watching so many people deal with things they didn't want to deal with, you know, the losses they didn't create, um, some losses they did create. Um, and so I'm a firm believer. I, I'll tell you two facts about Margaret Robinson Rutherford. Margaret Robinson Rutherford has a PhD. That's lovely, right? I've worked hard for that. Margaret Robinson Rutherford has also been divorced twice and had a terribly chaotic decade in my life, okay? I created a hell of a lot of chaos for myself and other people. Those are both facts about me. Now, would, they be would there be people who'd say, she's been divorced twice? I will never go to her as a therapist. You betcha. Um, but I don't believe, I'm a firm believer. Yeah, I've said that now three times. I must believe it firmly that my strengths don't define me any more than my vulnerabilities do, right. nor the latter, nor vice versa. My vulnerabilities don't define me any more than my strengths. And so if you begin to back off of thinking, well, you know, I w think about the friends you have, you know, that they sometimes yell at their kids. Okay. And you also see them do something really kind and lovely that you admire. And then they go home and they yell at the kids again. You, you go, I wish they quit yelling at their kids, but you don't go, well, they're just a wash. I mean, they're an awful person. You see the battle they're having. They're having some kind of battle between themselves. So the kind of compassion that you can often show someone else can be directed towards yourself. I'm sorry to hear about the, your, your, your twice divorce, uh, I history. Like it, I, I do too. And I would not, real. I think so as well. I think my, my question is, did you find during these two relationships that failed, uh, that you lost control that you tried to apply all that you have studied and learned about the psyche and all this. And how was it, how difficult was it when you hit a point where you realized it's irreparable and it, it's time to, to break up? Oh, it's stunk. It's, <laughs> now I was very immature. I was not in psychology in my twenties. I was a professional singer. And so, <laughs> right on. yeah, I was singing jingles and jazz and at night in Dallas, Texas. So I, I was far from being a therapist. That took me another nine years to turn that boat around. But um, yeah, I, my first divorce, I kind of pretended that, oh, well, yeah, you know, that was sort of had a flippity gibbet <laughs> attitude toward it. That's a hard word to say. Uh -huh. And um, and then I went on to really create more chaos with my next one. That was a seven year relationship that was abusive actually. So sorry. Um, that's okay. And, um, I had all of that chaos had caused me so much shame. I'm, I'm an expert at shame carrying that I stuck with the abusive person because I didn't really believe I deserved more. And it wasn't until I moved into psychology and started studying and, and people said, wow, you've got a good head on your shoulders. And um, I started getting input and I started really doing something else that I was, I loved music, but I was also passionate about doing therapy. I'd gotten really good therapy that got me out of that or helped me get out of that chaos. So um, all of that started happening. And then when the abuse kept on occurring, 
I was like, oh, wait, no, 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 I don't deserve this. Maybe there's a little light at the end of the tunnel that says um, that I could, I could have a different life. And I have now 30 years of being with my husband and he still calls himself my current husband, but um, I, I, I think he's a, I think he's a keeper. So you're on your third marriage. I'm on my third man- okay. marriage, 30 years. Oh, that's wonderful. I think so, the last. Let me rephrase Sorry? the. I think it'll last. I think it's Somebody looking good. Somebody tells me it's going to last. It's looking good. Let me rephrase the last point then. So uh, the first marriage was prior to your studying and, and getting the your. first two. First two. Okay. So since you now have completed your studies and are a PhD, uh, are you able to look back upon them and, and say, God, I wish I was able to apply this. That may have changed something. And maybe not in the second relationship so much, but. I don't think I might have chosen these people. Okay. <laughs> there was something wrong with my picker. You okay. Know? Got that. Um, and uh, one man was actually a very nice man, uh, but he was 20 years my senior. Guess what I was looking for. And um, <laughs> the second one was just, um, he slipped in and um, I'm not sure who took advantage of who. It was probably mutual, um, but that was a, a relationship made in hell it was it did not bring out the best in either one of us okay so um um so anyway that you know i have a lot of regret and remorse about that um i'm sorry that i that i was part of creating that in both those men's lives and in others my parents went through and my whole family was very worried about me um but i guess finally i i righted myself and sort of came into all of this glad Glad to see that. That's what I was saying earlier about pain. You know, it's it's sucks when you're going through it, but there is, you have to know that there's a silver lining, and you make your own silver lining. And at the time, you're not going to think that you're going to be so miserable. You're going to think, I'll never get out of this. It's never going to get better, but it does. And then the other side is just so amazing, because you've you've struggled. The struggle has been so worth it. I don't know. That's, Who's talking? Well, I'm saying to, I'm, that I'm kind of touches on perfectly in depression is that one <clears> thing <throat> that kept me in that relationship, uh, the second one especially, was my pride and my fear that I would be seen. I had to make that relationship work in order to uh, maintain this sense of togetherness and this persona of, oh, even no one knows it's abusive, so except me and him, and so I'll just keep this up and. And um, I'll, I'll make it work, and that didn't work. So, um, okay. So, let's talk about COVID. Sure. Okay. Uh, because something tells me that there's something about COVID and coronavirus that is making depression not so perfectly hidden, and it's going to be harder. No, it, it's going to be harder it, it, to hide it. It, it might be. I mean, I think uh, I've read a couple of things from different people uh, who've written about it. Um, there's some researchers up in Canada um, that I love their research. But anyway, I think there are two major concerns about it. One is that without the feedback from the external feedback that many perfectionists get from their accomplishment, they don't feel as accomplished. They don't get that. Uh, they're not going into work. They're not seeing colleagues. They're not able to. Um, their time schedules are have to be more spontaneous and spont- spontaneity is not something these people do very well. And so, they probably are really floundering like that. 
Um, however, I think probably there are also people who have this trait who are rigidly organizing things and have their families. They have, everybody has an office and everybody has this and, you know, they want to make, they, now they have the perfect strategy of handling COVID-19. And so probably um, some balance of those two factors um, is, is important. And I, but I, to your point, um, I think that, you know, I've had some people who have suffered great loss tell me that it's not amusing to them, but how people walking around saying, I don't know how I'm going to tolerate this is a life they've lived for quite a long time because they've had such horrendous things happen to them. So they're not like going, in fact, they have great empathy of, of people who are sort of discovering this feeling, but someone who, whose life depends or the, the, um, their sanity depends on how ordered things are, are really is struggling in some way or the other. Either they're, go, they're going way in the other direction of now getting everything as, you know, so they have the, again, the perfect looking COVID life, or they're beginning to fall apart the seams or both because right. they don't have that sort of external. Right, and, and my guess is you can't fake it. I mean, when you're socially isolating and, um, right, when you're sequestered or sheltered in place, you can't you can't fake it. You can't fake your fear or your depression. And I mean, it's just I would think a huge um, challenge, no. right? Nor can you fake your happiness. Whether you're with or... your family or you're totally alone, it's right there, and it's it's like okay, elephant in the middle of the room. Yeah. I see what you mean, and I think that in classic depression, you're exactly right. Even those with high-functioning depression are probably struggling. I cannot tell you, though, um, how many times, and I tell the story in the book of one of the first women that I recognized this in. I had diagnosed her with anxiety. Perfectionism often looks like anxiety. Uh, it looks like worry. It looks like a need for control. It looks like those kinds of things. And... Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> So yes, control. This other aspect is so. Well, anyway, I had this woman that I diagnosed with anxiety. Come to find out, her husband called me one day, and I have this funny feeling, and I don't. Do, I've never done this again. I'd never done it before this, but he said, "Would you go check on her?" And I went and checked on her, and I walked in her house. He'd given me the code, and everything was perfectly in place. You know, dish towels were hung, and you know, to dry and pillows were, you know, they were touched up and there were throws carefully, you know, put over the sofas. And I went back to her bedroom. I'd never been in their home, of course, and was calling her name and she was trying to die by suicide. She had taken an overdose. Um, so call 911. But it was at that moment after I kind of realized what had happened and I thought, okay, there's something I'm not, this woman is an expert at hiding because I'd worked with her for three or four months and I'm a decent therapist. And so, you know, she had not told me that she had any ideas like this. Um, and that's actually my fear is that these people won't let anything show. They will, they will more consider ending their lives because maybe they're that uh, cloak that they've been wearing is getting a little more ripped 
and they don't want it to show. They cannot, they don't know how. And so they'll just end it. And if any of you know someone like that, suspect someone like that, feel that way yourself, please know that there is something that you can do. Um, there is relief, there is healing. And it, I, I know because I've worked with people like that. I have a, an attorney who's actually um, very specialized and uh, he goes all over the country. And um, anyway, he came in several years ago and we were working on this and um, he was one of the starchiest uh, sitting up straight in the chair, you know, laughing, smiling people. And then he would start telling me about these things and it would be obvious how much inward struggle there was that he was beginning to risk letting me see. And he started laughing. He came in one day and he said, I did the assignment. I had asked him to do some grief work. He said, not only was I letting a tear roll down my cheek when I thought about how I'd said goodbye to a, a loved one, but here I was in the plane with a book on perfectly hidden depression open in my lap. He said, if you told me six months ago that I was going to openly read a book on depression on a plane, I would have told you you were crazy. So if people like that can begin to risk, so can you. Good. Good. Yeah. Okay. I want to lay out three scenarios and get okay. your advice, okay? What would you, what's your advice for the single person who is isolated right now, who has perfectly hidden depression? How, what are a few things you would tell him or her how to get through this time right now, if they're already that type of person? Sure. Um, and there are a lot of those people because they do fear if they get into an intimate relationship that they will be found out, so they don't. Um, and they, their work is everything to them and that's what they've thrown themselves into and so they really shy away from intimate relationships. Uh, what I'd suggest, um, other than of course getting the book, but um, th they at least have one friend, one person who they'll say, and maybe that person doesn't live in the same town you do. Sometimes that's even safer to have someone you grew up with or whatever who says, oh, yeah, I remember your dad. I remember how your dad used to get on you all the time, or I remember your, what your mother did. And begin to tell them, begin to just say, even if it's starting with, I'm not who I always want you to believe I am. Mm. That in and of itself is a statement. You don't have to say, you know, blah, blah, blah about your trauma the first time. It's just, I need you to know that sometimes I'm not who I pretend to be. And they'll say, well, tell me, I'm not ready to tell you. That, took a, that was a big risk right there. Um, and of course, they can get into therapy for that too because the goal of therapy is once you experience in therapy, we want you to experience it outside of therapy with other people. So you can begin in a therapeutic relationship as well. Okay. Uh, second scenario, what advice would you give to the couple, real quick, uh, just a few pointers that are unhappily married that are sequestered and have and one might have perfectly hidden depression and they're already unhappy what would you yeah. say yeah well that's kind of we're mixing apples and oranges now so i'm a little uh but i heard a podcast by esther uh, esther perel the other day and she was talking to these two people who were planning to get divorced and were highly emotionally 
uh, passionate and, and not fair and blaming and defensive and the whole thing. And she looked at him at the, toward the end of the session. And one woman would say, but I feel this. And he would say, I feel this. And But we want to be good parents. And she looked at them both. She said, uh, what you feel isn't important. Do what's right. <laughs> I thought that was so direct. She goes, what is taking your priority is your responsibility to your children. You need to take care of that first and leave your feelings out of it. You know, um, so we can get so caught up and you must understand my feeling that we forget that sometimes we just have to do the hard thing first. Right. If they have perfectly hidden depression, then probably their partner is not who they need to tell. I mean, here they are, you know, it's, it's not who they need to open up to. Um, so again, um, finding a friend, I mean, you've got to start somewhere. Okay. Third scenario, mm -hmm. uh, happily married couple. Mm -hmm. And uh, the and maybe one of them doesn't know that they have perfectly hidden depression because it's so hidden. But there's something about this time and being sequestered together, and it is coming out. What advice would you give to the spouse that's dealing mm -hmm. with the spouse or partner with PhD? Yes, uh, probably the same advice I would give in a lot of different scenarios. And that is that it is not your job to fix. It's your job to listen and ask questions. You know, there's a wonderful listening exercise that I do with people who come in as couples. And it is a, it's an exercise in listening where one person takes the role of, okay, I'm going to talk. And my job is to go deeper into what I'm feeling and what I'm experiencing and to risk that the job of the other person is not to have their own agenda as they listen. For example, Trevor, if you turned to Robbie and said, you know, I'm thinking about not wanting to do this podcast anymore. And he goes, well, why not? Oh, you know, we've only had that conversation. That, you know, that bums times. me out. That's about, that's a response. It's about his agenda. If you looked at him and said, I'm not sure I want to do this podcast anymore. And he looked at you and goes, well, how long have you been feeling that? And what brought this up for you? And tell me where your mind goes when you think about not doing, you ask open-ended questions, right? Yeah. You don't have an agenda. And now that's very hard with couples because our lives, again, using the word entangled a lot today, our lives are so intertwined and entangled that as soon as we hear about change or desire or fear or whatever, then we get all, ah, you know? Yeah. So, Truly good listening is more about kind of trying to take a therapeutic role with one another, but you know, you're still husband and wife or partners or whatever. So, um, but you, and then you switch the one who talked, did the listening and the one who listens as the talking. And it's, it's really quite difficult to do, but it can be done. I've watched it. We have, excuse me, we have uh, experienced that and we've had, that same question come up. So we know <laughs> fascinating. It's, uh, fascinating that you pick that question. Yes, yeah, so interesting. That topic. It's it, <laughs> yes, we question everything we do sometimes like that. But that's uh, that's really great. Uh, it's time to wrap up our show. Okay. But uh, Dr. Margaret, thank you so much. Tell us, tell our listeners how they can find you. Sure. I have my own podcast called The Self Work. It's S E L F W O R K podcast with Dr. Margaret Rutherford. My website's drmargaretrutherford.com. You can find the book at on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, but especially now that 
local bookstores may be struggling a bit, you can order it from them because again, it's not self-published. It's published by New Harbinger out there, in, out there in California. Great. So, <laughs> so thank you. Thank you so much. This is way too yep. short. Yes, it is, but uh, it's to the point. Okay, you'll just have to keep coming back. Because we love you. Yes. You have a home here at Dunpeen and Sinkhole. Yes, you do. <laughs> and uh, we hope everybody is uh, coping well and getting through this. And if they need help, it is out there. Are you taking customer? Are you taking clients online? Are you seeing them? You know, I'm not taking clients online. Um, we are still, um, you know, in Arkansas, you still have to have a license. The person has to live in the state you live for me to treat them now. You know, there are people who get around that by doing what they call consultations, and it's not therapy. I need to look into the legal ramifications hmm. of that before I do. But, you know, I offer the podcast for free. I have a right. Facebook closed group, facebook.com slash group slash self-work, that, you know, they're over, oh, gosh, there are almost 2,100 members of that group, and I talk with those people. So I'm available. Excellent. Um, but there are plenty of really good therapists out there. And, um, and if they don't know... If you have to walk in and go, again, I'm not who I present myself to be, then you can give your therapist a heads up about, you know, you don't want to fall through the therapeutic cracks because you don't look like someone who's classically depressed. Mm -hmm. True. Good point. Great stuff. You have a lovely singing bird there in your you have, yard there, which is so lovely in Arkansas. Where, whereabouts in Arkansas are you? Fayetteville, Arkansas. Fayetteville. Very right nice. in the middle of the Ozarks. Oh, you just said the magic yeah, the word. Ma We're watching. Have you been Ozark? watching Ozark? <laughs> you know what? Yeah. I have it on my list. I have not watched it, but I hear that there's a guy. Third season. There's a man with bipolar disorder that they're actually depicting pretty well. So I can't wait. We're to almost see. there. You will love it. It's it's quite a show. You will love the. Uh, will recognize the, probably they shot around here. The so family dynamic fun. is so fascinating. Just that alone is just it's yeah. great to watch. Okay. All right. Everybody have a great week. Stay Thank you, safe. Dr. Margaret. Really Healthy. great having you on the show. Sure. I'll take care. Love well, I love you so much. You. All right, everybody have a great week, and we will be back next week with another show, another show for <laughs> blah, 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 for everybody. All right. See you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I'm Shadow Stevens with my friends Trevor and Robbie. See you next week on Done Being Single.